And we're live. Welcome back, thronies and fellow nerdy men who have a crisis of masculinity to overcome. We're so <laughs> glad you are joining us for this episode of Pop Culture Theologians, where we're going to be discussing the longest episode in Game of Thrones history so far, episode three. Um, and we have a lot of stuff to get through. So make sure you're following us on social media, um, at Pop Theologians on Twitter and Facebook. You can follow me at jerickson 85 And if you're on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud, leave us a review. Um, it always is fun to hear back from all of you. Um, Marcy, um, my foul-mouthed friend from Florida, uh, where can we find you on the interwebs? As always, you can find me at I am the men who can on Twitter. But John, I think you forgot like the coolest, like best part of this week. Oh my God, what did I forget? We have an extra pop culture theologian this week. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey all. Why don't you introduce yourself, friend? Uh, my name is Kirsten, and I am friends with John and Marcy all back from our grad school days, from which I think we all have some PTSD. <laughs> and yeah, so we have been talking pop culture and theology for a long time. A long time. So Kirsten was actually like, she's not just like a friend of the pod, like she is an actual pop culture theologian. Uh, we were breaking down Westworld season, we did a backlog of season one and we we live kind of discussed season two on the Engaged Gaze. So like, we go way back, man. We're so excited yeah. to have you here. Thanks, I'm excited to be here. Kirsten and I have shared a hotel bed together. Oh. That's very true. I'm so Before sorry. Or she was married to her beautiful husband. <laughs> Or partner. She's John is a her. great conference buddy, is all I have to say. Especially so you, if that conference is in New Orleans. Uh. I, it's, I, I'm like laughing because, one, I love to travel with John. John is very exciting to travel with. But two, he is a snorer. Kirsten, were you okay? Yes. I, I just... Yes. I, partly because I... Many of the times that I've conference with John, he knows this and can attest to this. I don't actually sleep. That's no. true. Well, no one sleeps in New Orleans, my God. Yeah. No. So we're going to do something a little different this week. Usually, like everyone who listens to our pod knows that we like to start with the what the fucks of the week, just to kind of keep our work grounded in the daily grind that is existing in the U.S. in 2019. Um, but... This was like a very long episode, and I think we have a lot to cover that we can kind of interweave some of our own political bullshit into our coverage of episode three. So I think it's time for us to just dive right in. What do you guys think? Sounds good. Let's, Let's do it. do it. Okay, so I guess I will start by saying the probably the thing that works that one of the best things for me this episode was Arya. Um, I have to be full disclosure here. I haven't read the books, so oh. I don't. I know. I know. Shame. It makes me. I, Shame. I, that's fine. I will walk naked through the streets. That's fine. Uh, but, but no, I'm. I'm not invested in the mythos. That's that's the way other people are. So like, I know there's this whole prophecy thing that the show has been kind of dealing with, but not really. Um, and so for me, it makes absolute sense that Arya is the one who ends up killing the Night King. Um, I think it could have been a little bit better 
because I wanted to see a little bit more about how she got there, like what her approach was, as opposed to her just like falling from the sky, yelling at him. Um, but yeah, for me, that was one of the best things about this episode was seeing that. Yeah, I think, so I think starting off with Arya is, is a good place to start because one, because it's the one thing that's been blowing up everywhere this entire week. So we might yeah. as well dive into it. Um, I agree with you. I think I think the mythos in general, even in the books, has built up a character that fundamentally has the toolkit to tackle death, right? To tackle the Night King. I will say I do have some issues with the editing of this entire episode. I'm probably going to mention bad editing like 15 times. But for me, we have a very, very cool buildup of of a deconstruction of Arya. Like Arya tends to be kind of like stoic and she's like, I have faced death. Then we get her in the like 28 days later sequence in the library where she's like <laughs> terrified, right? And it, it feels like a horror film. It was beautifully shot to her discussion with Melisandre, which makes sense to me. Like I, I can see all the building blocks. Here's what was missing for me. I needed, and I understand, I've heard the showrunners say they wanted us to be completely surprised. But I don't think the surprise actually, the payoff worked for me in the way that watching Arya fight to get to Bran and the Night King would have paid off. So I needed the transformation of the girl that was in the library to the girl that like is like fundamentally like, you're right, like not today, I've got this. Give me like a, like an honest to God, like one minute set of like how, what it does what it takes to get her there and what she looks like getting there and i'm, I'm especially totally... well i was gonna say especially because that's like not what john did like john tried to do that and failed miserably so seeing her succeed at it i think would have been a pretty good payoff yes yes so it's an editing issue but is it supposed to be aria yes for everyone who's like john i'm sorry like <laughs> no <laughs> sorry I like every time I think of people who are like that kill belonged to John I'm like at this point no kill belongs to John so yeah I just first of all this was such an amazing build-up for me for the ways in which I love a good payoff and this is like what Marcy what you said Kirsten like it's been building up to this moment ever since our little like kill bill aria as they say on game a gay of thrones like really since she became who she was she was never fitting into the role of like you know warden of the north's daughter or who she was and she's always been developing into this character that is definitely one of the biggest fan favorites and to have her save basically humanity to have a woman save humanity um is so powerful and i knew immediately after she had that con uh, conversation with melisandre like I was like, wow, I just love when something pays off like that from an earlier season. And they've been doing a lot of that um, this, this, this season. And so I really just fell in love with it. And I was like up in front of my TV standing at this point watching like the episode <laughs> um, because when it was so dark and you couldn't see anything, so I had to get real close to my screen. But <laughs> I totally all made sense to me. And I'm so glad she got through the 28 days library horror Harry Potter episode because <laughs> I am not a zombie person. Um, and that really, the whites to me like didn't seem like zombies, but that really that brought me back big. to some terrifying things. But I loved it. And I'm so glad she gave that Night King what's his. He thought he was going to get it. And oh, she gave it to him. Ooh, I love it. And I, I think too, it. as I'm thinking about it, like she also gives us a deconstructed, so she's not just a woman 
who defeats death and, and kills the Night King and brings life. Like, she's a purposefully lost her virginity girl, right? And historically, a virgin girl has saved humanity, if you're looking through kind of like Christian theology, that lens of, of like Marian theology. So for me, it's really badass to see the polar opposite right? Like this young girl who has agency, who's like, I would like to lose my virginity tonight, dude, let's do this. And then like, not that she sacrifices herself for humanity, but she uses every skill that she has earned to, to save humanity. Like it's, I think it's a big deal. Like I think Arya is a big deal. I know, I know everyone's like George saves her because she is his wife's favorite character, but I think it's much more meaningful than that. So I, and I loved that her moment of realization also came through Melisandre, like, that yes. it was a woman telling a woman, like, you are it, like, you're, you're it, and she, the look on Arya's face when it dawns on her oh, that she's the one, she's yes. like, oh, yeah, that's me, like, what am I doing here? See you later, bitches, like, I'm out. Right, the what fact that the whisperer, <laughs> right, the whisperer was also a wise woman, right? Yeah, oh, Kirsten, I love that. I love that. Um, so I think it's good we started there. Um, so I think we're, so I want to talk a little bit, speaking of other very strong women in the show about Sansa, um, and to a certain extent, Sansa and Tyrion, um, for me, Sansa and Tyrion are going to live both in things that worked and did not work for this episode, but, um, let's start off with what worked with Sansa and Tyrion, and then I'll bitch later. So I thought this scene, the first scene we have with Sansa and Tyrion is one of the most beautifully, um, kind of like written scenes in scene at, uh, in, in the entire actual like Game of Thrones for me. So the fact that Sansa has to pretty much tell Tyrion, because like Tyrion's like frustrated that he's not having his moment, that he needs to go to battle. Like the only way to do good in this moment is to go to battle. And she's like, actually, no, like the bravest thing we can do right now is realize that that's not our thing. Like we don't have those strengths. Like we don't. And like for some folks, I was like on Twitter, it was like a very defeating moment for Sansa. I'm not reading it that way. And I, and I think one of the reasons I'm not reading it that way is because a very good example of what it looks like to not know your strengths is watching Samuel Tarley on the floor for all 83 minutes of this movie. Of this uh, episode. Yeah, uh, that was, right? yeah, that was, it was painful. It was so painful. And then to, to realize that like there is a strength in saying like, look, Sansa has kept Winterfell alive for like for the last like wh- however long we've been here, right? Last six months. She she had the food ready. She's fed, like she's got her shit together. She just knows she's not good with a sword. I also love the joke about Tyrion being the best of them when discussing her husbands um, because the tenderness there like is a shared kindness um, and kind of like shared vulnerability similar to what she has with Tyrion, not Tyrion, with um, Theon, which I said last week is a relationship that I really love. Like we, those of us who have been through shared trauma tend to like gravitate towards each other, hence the pop culture theologians like all coming together. But, um, but yeah, <laughs> that, that moment for me. And talk about a payoff, right? Like earlier this season, you saw the connect between Tyrion and Sansa with Arya giving her the dagger saying stick him with the pointy end. I mean, there was such great payoff here before this character that you really, you just, I, I just appreciate good writing. And I know all the writing is done by like white men, but like, I appreciate the good writing, you know? Agreed. Yeah. yeah. 
well, well, the second scene with, with Sansa and Tyrion did not work for me. If it works for you guys, I will let you advocate for it. This is the scene with both of the daggers, but for me, it's going to live on the other side. <laughs> on Adele's so other mean, side? Like... <laughs> <laughs> Do you mean, Marcy, the, when they're like, sitting on the other side of like, hiding from the whites? Yes, yeah. I, I mean, we could go into it now. Um, I think the writing again in that scene was spectacular. Um, that that was the only the second time I teared up in this entire episode uh, was you know when Tyrion what, Sansa has already pulled out her dagger. Tyrion pulls out his. He kisses her hand. It was so beautiful. Again, an editing issue for me. Like that is that was a moment where they both. I I know some people thought it was like a suicide moment. I didn't read it that way. I read it as a bravery moment. And then the next scene we have with them is them seeing Varys with the children. So we didn't get to see them use those daggers in any way. And I think to deconstruct the narrative for Sansa and Tyrion that like push come to shove when they shove them in the crypts with the bodies, they could protect people. Like you rise to the occasion. And I would be very shocked if there isn't be real of them actually doing that. But for, that editing yeah. doesn't work for me. Yeah, no, I agree. Like there was the moment I think they were trying to highlight the relationship between them and it wasn't so much about either of them pulling something up from inside of them that they didn't know was there to like fight them. I think for the writers, it was about the moment shared between the characters right. in this like face of death. But I agree with you that I think given the way the rest of the episode was, I would have wanted to see them at least fight their way over to where Varys was with the children. Yeah. <laughs> also like, honestly, like, I'm still mind boggled as to whether or not the writers thought we wouldn't think the bodies would come alive in the crypt. Marcy, if... wait, I owe you this. You were right. I was right. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. But I actually wasn't right. I honestly thought that we would see people we knew and then have to kill them. Like I thought we were, I thought we would have like a lot of like re-traumatization in this episode, which we didn't. So actually John, this doesn't happen very often. I was wrong, but I am happy that we did not have to relive the saddest moment of this entire episode, uh, which Kirsten, I think was the only moment you teared up. Yes, literally the only moment in the whole show was when Lady Mormont like charges at the giant to her, course her demise. And she knew it, like she knew she that's knew what it. she was doing. Um, and so, yes, that's the only moment that I cheered up because uh, she probably is unqualifyingly the only character I liked. Like all the other characters <laughs> I like, there's always qualification. But with her, it was just like, I stand her. Like I absolutely stand her. She is everything um, I want to be when I grow up. Ever. Seriously, seriously. But at the same moment that like, I was, I knew she, I knew she was going to die. Like there was no question in my mind going into this episode that she was going to die. Um, so when she charges at the giant, like I'm tearing up, but then as soon as she stabs him in the eye, I literally yelled at the TV, fuck yeah. And my husband was like, what is your problem? If you guys um, have but, not seen Leslie Jones live, she, she live tweets her entire reactions to the show. Um, at, her, fuck yeah was actually her reaction as well. Like the lead up to that scene, um, on her Twitter feed was just amazing. She was like, yeah. I yeah. thought and they were either going to get her. I thought they were gonna give her like an like a really amazing like death, which they did completely, but it was either gonna go one of two ways. One, like the zombies are like gonna bite her head off and it's gonna be like a glory, like crazy end where they just like kill her and give her like that screen time, or she was gonna do something of what she did. 
And what she did, you're just like, hell yeah. She went down in such a fashion. It was incredible. And Marcy, you were right again. You totally called that kill. I did. What I, again, was wrong on is I thought we were going to have to re-kill her. So, like, I was well, very we prepared. almost did. I mean, she did come back. <laughs> she does. Yeah. She does come back. But I, honest to God, thought we would lose her twice. And um, I, can't, I can't do that in, in one weekend. Not the same weekend that I saw Endgame, which no spoilers on Endgame. But I had been through a lot <laughs> in, like, 48 hours. So, um, so yeah. But honest, honestly, one of the greatest characters on this show, it goes to show, again, like, no small parts. Uh, she's beloved by the entire Game of Thrones community. And um, I am pretty sure there's going to be an uptick in baby Leannas over the next couple of years. Oh, I'm absolutely positive about that. Right. The writers even said she was supposed to be a one-scene character. And <laughs> as soon so as they bad. met the actress, yeah, they were like, no, we're going to write her into the show. <laughs> so that's, I mean, it was awesome because all of the fans, I mean, she, I think she was like one of the hands-down fans favorite, fan favorites. So. For sure. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that my next Pomeranian isn't going to be named Leanna Mormont, so... I approve. I, I thought you would. I, it might be Leanna Brienne of Tarth Mormont, uh, <laughs> but we'll see. So, John, you said the dragons in this episode worked for you. Well, the dragons worked in some, like, visual aspects for me. I thought gotcha. um, for the scenes that, like, where they were above the clouds where, you know, um, the Night King... They were stunning, and I would want to get, like, prints of them. I thought that that was the type of CGI that pays off so well. And also, I think the vulnerability of the dragons really worked for me as well, that you can see, like, they can overcome a lot, but dragon fighting on dragon fighting when they were up there in the sky, like, that was real. Like, that was crazy. And then also, like, how the whites, you know, tried to take down Drogon or Viserion, right? Was that the other one that lived? Well, whatever. But, you know, it's like... It was insane how vulnerable they were. Like, how does how much does it take to take down a dragon? And I, I think we got a good measurement of that. And I just always am in love with those dragons. I think it's, they represent so it's much. Beautiful more. design when we simultaneously know them to be the most powerful thing in Westeros, and yet we can still see how delicate the membrane between their fingers is, right? Claws. Um, and so when they fly, when it, when they land, there's like, it's, it's beautifully done. It's extremely improved from like seasons four and whatnot. I will say the visuals of the dragons worked, the use of the dragons, not so much, but visually I would, the moment over the clouds, I agree is, is a, it's just the most beautiful like snapshot. Like I just want it. That's the date I would want to go on. I wouldn't want to go to the icy mountain. I would like to do that date, the over the clouds dragon date. Like, I would totally do that. It's like that the never-ending was... story. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so... My reaction always to the dragons is, I mean, because I, I think of them like I think about dogs. And so yes. every time they're on screen, I'm like, oh, the puppers are so good. I love them. But, like, their facial expression, like the CGI, I think I agree. Like, I love how much emotion they're able to capture. And, like... I mean, again, to sort of jump around the episode, like in the end when you have Drogon coming back to sort oh. of comfort um, Danny, like it is like every dog owner knows that's what a dog does. That and is it, exactly it was... what I said. I, it actually reminded me, um, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Marley and Me. You mean uh, the saddest movie on creation? I, yeah, it's, I'm the, like, Marley I can't. is a movie you see once and that's it if you're a dog person. But there's this beautiful scene where um, Jennifer Aniston's character has a miscarriage 
and she sits down and Marley's a crazy dog, right? Like the entire point of this film is that like, Marley's not a good dog, but we love him. Marley just puts his head, kind of wraps himself around her. And, and it's a be- like the writer, John says, like, I couldn't comfort her the way that Marley did in that moment. And I think with Daenerys, you're entirely right. When Drogon just like wraps around her and then settles it's it is a move that we dog people know and and honest to god are thankful for right and i'm i'm positive that danny has a character in that moment like the dragons are the only family she has left because i jorah was it like jorah and the dragons that's it um because and now john is also in flux so but john's dragon lived too right we don't yes. know the state i thought he did I'm pretty sure he did. I read it online because okay. Ghost, all, I know we're getting into my stuff now, but Ghost also lives apparently. Okay. Okay. So it's, it's interesting. I think um, I feel very invested in the dragons <laughs> and Lady Mormont um, and Sansa. Uh, but I do feel, I, I was very nervous that the damage, um, I've said before that one of my favorite uh, pieces of writing by George R. R. Martin is the blacks and the greens, which kind of details the demise of the Targaryens because they would do dragon fighting, the dances of dragons, which is exactly what they did in this episode. And he describes the like flailing of their heads and the biting of the like wing membrane. And so I'm still a little nervous, but I will take your word that like they're both okay. Um, I also would like two dragons to march down to King's Landing since we're facing now the, the company of gold, the golden company of 20,000 with like, <laughs> like 20 people left at Winterfell. So um maybe maybe a solid 10 Marcy. I wouldn't <laughs> give them 20. So I do think we have to touch as pop culture theologians a little bit on a bit more on Melisandra, right? So obviously MVP of the episode. I don't think we would have been able to see half of the shots if she wasn't in them lighting fires everywhere. <laughs> um that is as much shade as I can give to an episode that was entirely dark like it was like I don't care what the the cinematographer says I don't like everyone was like yeah but if you see it on a 4k led liquid cacti global screen it looks perfect and it's like fuck you I have like a pretty decent tv and I couldn't see shit like I honest to god kept not hispanic lady like talking through the episode but I just kept having to ask my brother and Brent like wait who was that what was that like what and like that, that is an obnoxious way to do this. So MVP to Melisandre for bringing the light. Um, I've been thinking a lot about, so I've, I've mentioned before that the fall of the Sept of Baylor is one of my favorite episodes, mostly because I felt like it was like a hypothetical destruction of Catholicism. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And I think when, when you think of the fall of the Sept of Baylor, the fact that the sparrows, like that, that there was like, there was nothing there. Like, it was just power like they couldn't tell what was happening there was no mythical spiritual anything it was just about power and power brought them down versus and and i would consider that new religion right like the new religion and then when you look at melisandre and the old gods and and the god of light i i can't help but tie that to kind of like an older understanding of the gods and religion and women in religion and like the difference between what Melisandre was able to do 
compared to the the high sparrow brings me a little joy <laughs> uh it's not that I have trauma with the Catholic church, but I have trauma with the Catholic church. So watching a female priestess bring the light was really, really empowering. Again, given that I don't really know a whole lot about the books other than what I have read online, my question would be, it's true that the, the old gods and the Lord of light is representative of, it's supposed to be kind of akin to Zoroastrianism, right? Right, right. And so I think that there is, um, I mean, I don't know Zoroastrianism aside from like the Wikipedia definition of it, because I've not done a lot of extensive study on Zoroastrianism, but it would seem that like there is something that Martin is trying to get at in sort of creating the mythology of the show that these old gods, these old ways of thinking, it's, it does seem like they're the ones who are sort of like, they have the power, they have the, the miracles and the, like there, it's not just um, the Wizard of Oz where, where there's nothing behind. Right. Like don't, look, don't, don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. But with the Lord of Light, there's actually something there. And I'm not sure if that's, am I, if I'm supposed to be reading as much into that about what Martin's own view of religion might be. I, I don't, don't know, think Marty. there's any other way to read it. I mean, Zoroastrianism is, is one of the oldest religions in the, like that we know of, right? And, and to a certain extent, like you can't, separate like and I've talked about this with Harry Potter and JK Rowling's own personal beliefs like who we are comes out in our writing but also what we believe accidentally comes out in our writing sometimes or purposefully um this was like the like I always thought that somehow Melisandre and the God of Light like that the curtain would be pulled back and that is the opposite of what has happened and I think like all of us, I think, are kind of supposed to be Sir Davos, right? Like kind of watching this and then being like, oh shit. Like, like I, buy, I, like I bow down to what I do not know, do not understand and what came before. Like, and I, like, I appreciate that in, in fantasy in particular because I think it's very difficult to navigate the type of, of religious critique that martin has done in these books because there's there's more than just like the seven and like the old gods and the god of light like he's he's doing like interesting work well i do think in some sense to the stories as i know them melisandre has not been without fault like she's like they right. talk about how it's not an exact science to do the the prophecy and stuff and so i kind of wonder whether or not this episode was supposed to mark her redemption arc like she has redeemed oh. herself. Has she redeemed herself from burning Shireen alive? I don't know. I don't know. hundred percent. This is very similar to like the Jamie arc. Like, no, like nothing makes what happened to Shireen okay. But George is not interested. And I know the death, the burning of a child at a stake is very high. Um, but George R. R. Martin is just not interested in, in perfect, like, model characters like he's not interested in perfect villains because he literally i mean according to what we know he advised the narrative he literally just killed the perfect villain with like very like very carelessly because he's not interested in them and with melisandre i think you're right like the the bowing down to the old religions and old knowledge while at the same time acknowledging like you said it's not an exact science and 
humans make mistakes even with the best tools, with the best that they've Game got. But if it's not, I don't know if, what is a better redemption arc than watching Melisandre this whole episode and then her getting to rest. All through the eyes of Davos who starts off this episode obviously wanting to kill her and ends this episode, I think to a certain extent, just in awe. Like, it's still angry, but like with some respect. I'm obsessed with Melisandre. I think that I've really enjoyed seeing her character arc. I personally enjoyed the crisis of faith she had when she went out to light the trenches. And she's been questioned before. She's had her faith questioned before when she couldn't, um, when she thought John was wrong um, and not maybe the prince because he was killed. Um, And then she resurrected him and he brought her back and she, she brought him back but he brought her back in a lot of ways to well because i don't think she ever recovered from what happened with shireen it's not just davos i think she was fundamentally changed after that like and and i think you're right like this for her belief like there is you see her flailing in that moment with the trenches yeah john i think you need her necklace I um, actually am wearing it. That's how I can maintain. Yeah, Kirsten, he's, been, he's been a priest of the light for like six months now. I'm, I'm actually, <laughs> we all know that I'm actually older than we all know I am. I'm around 3,467 years old. <laughs> so honest I've seen qu- some shit. <laughs> so honest question. How many times have you guys seen the episode? Twice. Once. Okay, three times. I just haven't had time to rewatch it. <laughs> I, I stayed up late last night watching it instead of grading papers. So sorry, students, your papers didn't get graded because I needed <laughs> to do this. <laughs> Mommy needed to have some time to herself. Indeed. I, the first watch, I don't know how you guys felt, but it, was, it had suspense. Like It worked for me in terms of building up. Because like, again, we didn't know what to expect, and the show has always played with people's expectations anyway. So everyone's expecting not to expect things even in the midst of expecting them if that makes sense yep so I I think that sort of gives a lot of suspense to it but I have to say when I watched it a second time I actually didn't feel that at all like it was all gone for me like it was completely deflated and I actually got more irritated by things that I wasn't irritated at the first time I watched them in particular you already mentioned Sam but when I saw it the (laughs) second time through I was like fucking Sam like what are you doing like, like woman woman up pick up a sword and sh- and stab something like do something i really wanted him to die if neville longbottom can kill nagini you can get up samuel tarley yeah but My he's God. sexy neville longbottom his powers have been restored i well i think samuel tarley is sexy i will i actually yeah, you do. of course i do he's he's into books and he he took the black we know that is literally all it takes for me to be like yes Let's do this. You're celibate and you have books. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally into it. Um, I actually agree with Kristen entirely. The first, the first watch of what I could see through my black screen, um, agreed. Like I had the adrenaline rush. Like the Battle of Winterfell has honestly been like what we've been waiting for for like eight years. So like the there was no way to not experience this episode in like a heightened state of like oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Second viewing. This episode is fucking nonsensical. It is like very frustrating to rewatch this episode and just, there's just so, there are so many decisions made 
in this episode, everything from like battle decisions to editing to dialogue that are just ridiculous. Like, and then my third viewing, which was when I was like, let me just try to outline like the stuff that worked and didn't work. Like, I was just like, you know, this is interesting. Like, maybe this is how it always feels after, you know, you watch a battle episode, but it's not. Like, like Lord of the Rings Helm's Deep holds up every single time you yeah. watch it. Every yes, single absolutely. Time. Battle of the Bastards is still one of the most beautifully shot episodes. Like, the, the, I, every time I watch it, I still feel like my breath catch because... You the, there's a moment where you can only hear John breathing, like trying to breathe. So it, this is not a thing of like, oh well, like you don't repeat battle scenes. Like no, no, this up it it just doesn't hold up for me. So I completely agree. I was gonna say Battle of Hogwarts holds up for me too. Although yes. the the distinction between the books and the movies there kind of irritates me at some point. But for the most part, like in the film version of that, when you take it for what it is, like it still holds up too. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I also think this could have been two episodes. So I like, I think I fundamentally know exactly where this episode should have ended. It's when the Night King and the rest of the NSYNC boys are like walking through the fire and like, (laughs) then like end it there. And then like, like I, it didn't need to be one episode and maybe that's part of it too. That like something about it just felt so, it felt like we focused on a lot of stuff that was useless, like AKA the dragons and John and Danny's nonsensical war tactics. And then we got very little time with the things that mattered. Um, so, so yeah, it doesn't hold up, but apparently like John said, ghost is still alive. So he held up. If they killed He's ghost, out there somewhere. If they He's killed, I mean, that's the thing. If they gave, if they just gave ghosts, like, with the horse people and we're going to talk about that like if they sent him out there because like that's what they did i mean they're like hey in here intro battalion like go on thanks you'll definitely help save the day i roll everyone's saying (laughs) ghost is alive but like i don't remember visual proof of it but again who knows it could have been on the left side of my screen which was entirely black i just don't know uh, I thought we saw Ghost did the teaser for next week's episode. That's that, what the Vanity okay. Fair article said. Okay, then we're good. We're good. I thought we might see Nemeria, actually. Um, I thought maybe Nemeria remembered who she was and came back up north. So I think she's eaten zombies like in the like the <laughs> field, basically, that might have like ventured off. <laughs> so um so I think this touches a bit on I just like the fact that this is an interesting episode because we left the last episode with John telling Daenerys, like, you're like, you're my aunt, right? And then this episode, we have a ton of scenes with Daenerys and John, but I'm not sure anyone cared about them. And like, I think that's interesting. Like, I honest to God think that there has been a purposeful decentralization of John and Danny in these last couple episodes. Um, which is cool because the books, like even the books are not written from one, one perspective, right? Like if you've read the books, one chapter is John, one's Danny, one is random bread maker number four. Like uh, uh, George R. R. Martin is interested in the story of people, not in, I don't particularly think he was interested in writing the story of one person, but John and Danny were useless in this episode. Like, and that so worked useless. for me. It worked for me mostly because I'm just like apathetic towards both, but useless. 
Yeah, everything, like, I still don't understand. Again, I, I don't know if we're moving into the stuff that really didn't work, but, like, I just felt like whoever laid out this plan of, like, attack, they're idiots. And I think we have already sort of learned throughout watching their history in the show that these people maybe aren't the best at strategy. Like, every time they're like, oh, yeah, this will get them, like, it ends up blowing up in their face some way. So I don't know. But I really did not, like... um I mean, I guess you liked it, Marcy. I'm saying, like, I was so frustrated because I'm like, would you really do this? Like, you guys are being idiots. Like, would you be idiots? Are you really idiot characters? I don't know. <laughs> like, John, John running at the Night King, I was like, no. You've no. got to be kidding at me. No. Stop ben it. Stop deciding it. deciding to not have her dragon move while it's being, like, eaten alive. Like, Yeah, you know, what the hell, Danny? It was like, so I, I will say what works for me is that I think it's because I was more weird. worried for the drink. So was I, I was like, get seriously, up. get up. Like I was like, I, killing I, your dog. <laughs> I like the decentralization because I've always thought of this as like a very true ensemble main cast. Right. So like, I'm glad that we got time with like Tyrion and Sansa and I'm glad that we got time with Melisandre and Arya and Bran and Theon. Um, but I will say again, choice points for the writers. I mean, Kirsten's like actually on the nose. Like these characters aren't that stupid. If Tyrion is the smartest man in the realms, he must have thought once, "Hey, the Crips is maybe not where we go hiding from the Lord of Death." Like it's just not. It doesn't make sense. Daenerys, breaker of chains. I'm using like Joey air quotes like does not bow down to a, to a table of white men when they're like, let's send your brown people first and don't Seriously. use your dragon to light it all up. Let them go in the dark. Like luckily Melisandre comes by and is like, yo, let me help you. Let me help you out. But like, it's just, there's very, very like confusing choice points uh, for me throughout the whole, like throughout the entire episode. So. Well, I mean, since we're already there, I would say like, the thing that pissed me off about that first scene, so when I watched it the first time and watching the Jothraki have their swords light up and then they're sent basically to their demise, I was like, of course, we're sending in the people of color to die first. <laughs> right. But then uh. what really sealed the deal for me was that I listened to what the writers said in that little commentary they do after the episode. And they were like, yeah, we needed this moment of hope so that people would feel hope and then we wanted to take it away from them. And I was like, oh, so you're using people of color as a pawn. Great, great right. job there, guys. Wonderful, nice. wonderful decision. And, and like, I think here's the thing. Like, a lot of people have kind of reacted to the backlash to that with, like, well, obviously you would send your bravest first. And, like, I'm, like I don't have the time for that. that this, is, this is actually how white supremacy works. Like, Art is political. Our decisions in art are political. The Dothraki to the show writers, right, and by extension to Daenerys as a character, are disposable. Um, that is not the case for all the white little women and children that are in the crypts. And while I understand that the Dothraki are fighters, they were not on an even playing field with, like, the folks who were, like, also there to fight. They were literally sent as the disposable, like, kind of collateral to figuring out what, what the fuck is going on. Um, and the people and, in charge cannot claim ignorance about that. They knew no. exactly what they were sending them to. Like, no, it's just... this is a show that has struggled and has been critiqued, rightfully so, for white savior syndrome. Um, 
and then Daenerys considers herself and has built herself and the writing has built her as like the you know she she takes on Slaver's Bay, Breaker of Chains, Misa, that awful scene of her surrounded by brown people worshiping her. Um, but but where she body body surfs? Yes, it's Uh. the worst, it's the worst. (laughs) But then fundamentally, they, the, this shows, and this is a critique on George R.R. Martin, if this is his, if this was his intention, but particularly the show writers, that Daenerys and the showrunners viewed Daenerys's entire like community as disposable and like that's it fundamentally that's it which is why to a certain extent I don't really particularly feel a lot of sadness when she's left looking at a dead Jorah and she has no one because like the people who have risked their lives for you since you were pretty much an infant child bride you you didn't give a second thought to like a second thought to so I, I don't have I mean, <laughs> I will say, like, I think her thought came too late. So, like, in the scene in which the light goes out from the Dithraki, that is a moving scene, and it is yeah. very powerful. And she reacts. She she deviates from the plan that they had set out, and John tries to stop her, and she's like, basically, get the hell out of my way. And right. that's when she hops on her dragon. But I feel like it comes too late, and she realizes what she's done. And I just feel like that's the writer's fault. Like, I blame the writers for that, because I really think if they were going to be true to her character, I don't think she would have stood for it. I don't think so either. Like, there's there's no, like, she crucified the masters and would not hear of it. She burns the Tarleys. Like, she barbecues the Tarleys. Like, she, there are things that are non-negotiables for her. So the idea that this, this woman who is full of power walks into a room with a bunch of old white generals and is like yeah okay that sounds great granted i will say how many of us have been in staff meetings when we know whatever decisions being made is wrong and like there's very little agency or power in that moment but that's just not how i think danny's written like it's it's not so so yeah it's it's interesting uh it's such it's really frustrating because i can't separate it like I can't separate the fact that we're about to watch Daenerys like go south to King's Landing without the folks who got her there. Isn't that how it always happens in white supremacy, yeah. <laughs> white capitalistic cultures? It is. It's just it's really it's frustrating. And and we already know that Grey Worm and Missandei are like, yo, we need to leave this MAGA country. Like, like we have got to get out for yeah. sure. So it's interesting. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been processing that all week. So if we're going to move yeah, on to... I, will, I was going to say on second viewing, it was that hit me even harder than it. I mean, that was the yeah. first thing I said when I watched the scene was watching the people of color basically get used as pawns. But the second time, it made me even more angry than the first time. Yeah, no. And the longer it sits, the worse it is. Um, because Daenerys has Breaker of Change is, Chains is central to this story. So... Before we jump into all the stuff that didn't work, like quickly things that did work, John, you, you and I both, you know, well, I've been bringing you onto the love of horror films. The, the zombie aspect was beautiful. I loved it. It was beautifully done. And then we- Because they weren't like zombies in the way in which like you think about classic zombies, but that scene in the library was classic zombie film lore. I honestly thought she was going to run into a family member though. Again, I was wrong. But I think that that would be very, it would have been much more powerful if like someone who had turned the corner was someone we recognized, right? Um, 
but I also understand reasons for not doing that um, and keeping it kind of just uh, an overarching like horror scene. Um, but I would, I, I don't know who I would have even wanted. Like the, cause this, the, I keep call, calling her the nanny, but the septa that died at King's Landing would have been a good one, but she died at King's Landing. And so I can't really think of anyone that actually would have made sense, but I really- At least not for, not for Arya. Like she's not been yeah. back at Winterfell long enough to really develop- Right. The relationship. Right. Uh, a, another thing that worked, I think, really well, again, was, I don't know if it was intentional, but the contrast between Sansa and Sam that we've discussed, um, it's, it again, something that has stayed with me over the last couple of days, that there are different types of strengths and that we tend to, I think it was really good to show the contrast of like the, not the strength of a woman, but the strength of someone who knows restraint and humility versus like again fucking sam like there was no reason for sam to to be out there right he we know he's not good with a sword there's a reason he was sent to become a maester um but i think the the moment that works the best for me out of that entire thing is the moment where we see john going to bran he sees sam and does not go back for him because that is the cost of that was powerful decisions. Yeah. yeah, like fundamentally, like the lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. Right? John is going to Bran, and that was a the decision to not turn is very unlike John, right? Like John makes very stupid decisions on a daily basis, and like I thought for a second he was going to turn back, and it's like the only smart decision he makes. Sam chose his bed; he needs to lie in it, right? But I wonder if we see the repercussions of that in the next episode. Because what would it be like just to be like, oh, God, I'm still on the floor surrounded by zombies. Your best friend walks by and is like, not today, Satan. Like, I'm, I'm just not touching it. Um, I, I wonder if we'll feel a fallout from that. Well, I think Sam's going to definitely feel guilty that he was the Ooh. cause of Ed's death. So yeah. Ed dies because His name's Sam, Ed, John. His Ed. name is Ed. <laughs> <laughs> because Sam can't like defend himself and so and can't save them and yeah and he can't undo it. i think he's gonna i think he's gonna feel guilty about that right right i agree yeah you can't undo that there are repercussions to like to male fragility like it like i think fundamentally sam similar to Tyrion, struggles with like not fitting this like scope of masculinity that obviously fantasy uses these tropes so, but we have them as well um, and then the show does a really good job of showing that there are very real consequences to like performative masculinity, like, and performative strength and like, and the, and not understanding that like there is value in the ways in which we all contribute, but also in the ways in which we learn to pass the fucking mic. Right. Like, so congrats, Sam, you spent like 87 minutes on the floor and the show, the show, I think purposefully starts with his very shaky hand going for a dagger they let us know from moment one yeah Sam's not okay so yeah so so john usually is an idiot but the one moment he's not an idiot was when he like left left sam to die pretty much yeah and i think that was the right decision you as a as a leader as a general you know he's he's trying to actually save humanity or like you know everyone that's alive and sacrifices must be made right speaking of sacrifices 
Uh, pour one out for Theon Greyjoy. Oh, uh, he died and a magnificent he, death. I think he died a really stupid death, but he died magnificently. I hope that makes sense. Um, I I have not kept it a secret. Like Theon is one of my favorite characters. I think he got a beautiful goodbye. Um, but I, I have issues with Bran and his ability to share his knowledge. Um, but I do like the fact that we saw Theon die as a Stark and die at home. And what that means for a character like Theon who needed to, to feel his own redemption to be able to let go. Um, I think similar to Melisandre, you know, seeing that she brought these things to light and then being able to rest Theon's death felt very similar. It was a moment of rest. Like, and it's okay. Like, it's okay. You're a good man is what Bran says, which is so beautiful. Um, it'd be great if he had then said, just get behind my wheelchair for a second because something's about to happen, but he didn't. Um, so we say goodbye. To typical Bran. Typical Bran. Such a bitch. I was going to say, I think, I think Bran, like there's forgiveness and redemption there, but it also is a kind of justice in relation to all of the things that Theon was responsible for. Right. So he gets his redemption, but it also isn't, it isn't at the cost of justice. Like he still gets justice. Right. And there, and there was nothing that was going to convince me that Theon didn't die protecting Bran because that, that is exactly who he needed to die for. Uh, It wasn't anyone else. Like fundamentally the unforgivable act of taking over Winterfell was like multiplied by a million times because he would have killed Bran and Rickon if he had found them, right? And I think that's something we all know. Um, so for him to give his life for Bran made made a lot of sense. Um, so so again, pour one out for good old Theon. He what what is dead may never die, so he's still with us. Um, and then the final, I think, really great thing we've already talked about. Well, I guess we could talk about the Hound and Jorah before we, we jump to what didn't work. Um, I would just, I was going to say, like, there's a lot of Heideggerian people in this episode. So, like, Heidegger's whole thing of being toward death and once you recognize that you can't outstrip death, like, what you do in response to that, you either live authentically or inauthentically. Right. I think Mel- Melisandre, Theon, the Hound, Jorah, all of these people go through this in different ways in this episode, like, recognizing they literally are facing the god of death. Right. And, they, and they're not going to outstrip death. Like, no one gets out of life alive. So I think for the Hound, he was, he was having that existential crisis, like, you know, freaking out, and then sees Arya needs his help. And that's sort of what sparked him to realize, okay, like, I'm not getting out of this alive, like, in terms of my life, so I might as well make something of it and be authentic about it and, like, runs to her rescue. Right. And I think, so I think when we're speaking kind of, like, of the, the, the underlying theme of, like, facing death, I had, like, two very strange reactions when I was, like, watching some of the characters interact with their mortality, both metaphorically and for real. Um, First, like, there are moments in this episode where the three of us on my couch were like, this is an unwinnable war, right? This is unwinnable. Like, Jesus Christ, this is unwinnable. And so there was two reactions. The first was, obviously, something supernatural needs to happen, like, to fix this. And in my head, that is a very spiritual reaction to facing death. Like, the only thing that could possibly make this god-awful, like, 
Battle of Winterfell end is some type of intervention, which I think is what a lot of people were expecting, was some type of magical intervention. And we do sort of get that a bit with Melisandre. But then my other reaction was watching the Hound react to not that they that he needed some magical intervention to prevent the horror of the Battle of Winterfell, but that sometimes we fight solely for the for humanity for people, for finite things, for not for life, but for very finite things. And like, Arya means so much, like, look, at, like, I'm like fist pumping my chest right now, like, as I get emotional. The Hound and Arya's relationship is really beautiful because they're both two hard asses who are not going to tell each other they love each other in a very real kind of father-daughter way. But like, the Hound was not fighting for anything other than he just loves someone and didn't want them to suffer and so like it i do think this episode is challenging the ways in which we view what makes like life worth living and what we expect when faced with the like like with our existence with like our death so which is very heideggerian very i just was like dude hound get your shit together (laughs) i see i feel like i would be the hound in battle like i I know myself. First off, I would definitely have been in the crypts, but I would have been scared. I'm smart enough to know it wasn't safe in there, but where else am I going to go? But I would also be the hound in the crypts. I'd be the one being like, y'all, we're not getting out of this. Like, I, I fundamentally identified with his breakdown, not because of the fire, but because it was just, I like, in very small ways in our lives, like we've been in situations where it's like, I can't win this. Like, I just can't win this. Like, this is awful and I need to retreat and wait for the, like, whatever is coming. And so it, like, I love the hound, y'all. I'm just going to say it proudly. I would be with Melisandre riding on on her horse being like, hey, (laughs) y'all. And so I'm here to light your fire. (laughs) I think we have to do. You're one here final. to light my fire, John. Yeah, that's right. I am. So one final pour out for Jora. I I don't give a shit about Jora, but I know some people. Oh do. wait, Marcy. I think this is the time where I get to. What is that word? Where I oh. I don't I get to. You get say to tell me I was right. No, we were both right. We both said that he said goodbye. No, no, I said that he was going to die defending Danny. You did not agree with me. Oh. I, I have no problem saying, saying you're right. I back and listen to the episode so I could have this moment of joy. Yeah, I know. We're going to replay this. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> no, but t- totally like Jorah's death. I feel like there weren't enough deaths in this episode, but Jorah's was written last week. So, like, to- totally not unexpected that he dies for Danny. A little sad that he couldn't get the final words of I love you out, but maybe that's the point. Like, it's tragic. Like, it's tragic he couldn't even say it right before he died. So, so that's all of our stuff that, even though we've covered some of what didn't work, but those were some of the highlights. Let's cover our lowlights. <laughs> and by lowlights, I do mean I couldn't see shit. And I'm still really pissed, out, pissed off about it. So, obviously, we started with uh, the people of color being thrown out into the wind right? Like, by all means, by all means. Oh, yeah. Um, and then we've talked about how the, the contrast of like an episode where we should, I understand. Okay, so tell me if I'm wrong. The battle, Helm's Deep is a night battle, right? 
starts in the night and it ends in the morning with um, Gandalf coming over the top of the hill with the right. backup troops to come in to save the day, and that's in the morning. But it was after um, Theoden decides to ride out, like for one last ride, thinking that they're riding to their death, and they see Gandalf at the top of the hill. But that's in the morning. But they fight all night long. All night long. Yeah. So that Sorry, was I've watched like, that so many I was, times. I was like, that was the sexiest moment of this whole episode. <laughs> there you go, folks. She's a married woman now, but Jesus. <laughs> um, so what's interesting is, like, I, I don't need these battles to be realistic in the sense of I can't see shit. Uh, Helm's Deep is a good example of, of appropriate lighting for a battle because you're already asking me to suspend belief. Dragons don't exist. Throw a little light from the left side and we've got this. Like, come on. Like, it's, it's, it's fine. Um, just like light some more fires for Pete's sake. I mean, fire kills these freaking things. Where are the other like priestesses of the light? Um, yeah, it's really interesting say- that like. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I just think it's really interesting that like she was the only like priestess that was there. Right? Wouldn't they all come? Maybe. Maybe they maybe they don't have like a WhatsApp chat, so they weren't able to like tell each other. I was going to say, isn't, like, the only other priestess we've seen? Because they're mostly in Essos. They're not yeah, in Westeros. Yeah, And the other priestess we saw is the one who was, like, Danny is the chosen one. We're going to go spread the gospel to the rest of Essos. Right. That she's the chosen one. Yeah. Um, but I, have we seen another priestess? We saw, we saw a male priest of the God of Light. Wasn't, wasn't Beric a priest? No. No. The priest was the one that brought Beric back from the dead. Right. Right. Um, but we know there's more of them, um, but I guess maybe in my head, like they would show up of some sort. Um, but, but, but that's the only thing they could have lit this episode. Um, and the, the lighting wasn't the only problem. Like we, it was raining ash, smog, smoke, the, the layer upon layer upon layer while maybe realistic. I know it took 50 something days, like 55, 57 days to film this scene. Uh, again, made it difficult. Um, but not so difficult that characters didn't stay alive. Um, our death list from last week is now laughable. Like, oh my gosh, it was so ridiculous. It was so ridiculous. <laughs> there were so many like, deaths that should have happened. Uh, it was frustrating. I was, and I, that's the one thing where like people were really angry about the writers of the episode. I'm like, yeah, I, I think you have a right to be angry given the history of the show, which is like no character is sacred. Any character can be killed. And all of a sudden, everyone is untouchable. Again, including Samuel Tarley. Who, okay, but only the, only the white people only and maybe Grey Worm and Miss Sande because of their relation to white people. <laughs> Miss Sande was such a bitch in the crypts. I was like... I, oh I was there for it, though. <laughs> I was like dying. I was like, girl is taking her time for a second to tell Sansa to sit down. Um, but agreed, we had a we had this like thing where like I've gone through the loss of Ned Stark. I've been to the Red Wedding. Do do the writers think we're not prepared? We have three episodes left. Like we said goodbye to Brienne of Tarth last week. I don't care what anyone says. We said goodbye. Like Tormund, we said I, goodbye to Tormund. But I think Jamie's gonna die in Brienne's arms. I had said that too, but now I'm like, watch, like, it's going to be as pre-written as some of this other shit is. And like, we've got to wait for him to kill Cersei. Like, I, like, it's just strange. I, well, I think he's going to kill Cersei, but then I think like, it's bye-bye. I don't know. But, but no, there was just, the survival rate was way too high. And, and not at uh, the cost of, of story. I'm confused. Like, like, 
we, I, I mean, him, I, I was going to say, I think the, sh- the episode should have been retitled, like, The Battle of the Red Shirts. Like, that's what it felt like. Yes, yes, yes. Um, also, there were a lot of shots of the battling that looked like death shots. So to then see them alive was also very strange. Yeah, because like, they kept battling, like, mounds and mounds and mounds right, of, like, zombie right. people. Uh, which takes us back to, like, the uh, upon second viewing like all of the strategy for this entire episode is bananas the survival is bananas but also the strategies that they were using to try to win were bananas um yes why did they build more trenches why did they not use the dragons to light up fields of zombies like beginning exactly like from the beginning the south gate is entirely not manned and then it's like, we'll only light shit when we need to. You need it from the get-go. From the get-go. Obviously, they didn't watch World War Z because they know that, like, the bodies can build bridges. But, like, it's just nonsensical writing. I keep going back to, like, it's just really dumb writing. And in yeah. hopes that we get so excited for finally getting, I'm using air quotes again, like answers that we're not going to see some of this like really weird choice points, but they're just very, very weird. Um, I, like the crypts is still something like that I can't fathom. I can't fathom locking myself up with a bunch of dead people waiting for a, a person that we know can wake the dead. And I understand, like at least remove the bodies. Like, do something like be proactive i i don't know no for real i i still am like i understand that john isn't the most intelligent character but he did know and witness the night king raising at heart home right like he witnessed them right. raising the dead like how do you not say i don't think the crypts are a good idea like right. Tyrion's not an idiot like these people are smart i just don't, i don't get it. it it doesn't it doesn't make any sense and it, and it, again Maybe, maybe if you left the bodies there for Sansa and Tyrion to have this moment of, of glory, that'd be great, but you didn't. Like, you left them in a very weird situation where, like, I, I was very surprised when I saw the folks who were like, that was, they were about to kill themselves in case the, I, that's not who I think Sansa and Tyrion are. I don't think they're suiciders. Um, in the sense no. of, no, that's just not who, who they are. I, I can see a Samuel Tarly maybe jumping out of a window if it gets too scary. Um, obviously surviving and like laying on the floor, but like um, the crypts, the crypts only made sense to me if there was going to be action, right? And then I, I would well, just have to suspend belief that it made sense. But there was and no. Didn't action. they even set it up like with that little girl who was like, "No, I can fight," and they're like, "No, you can protect the yes. crypts," and then she's there hiding behind Varys, and I was like, "What was the point?" Has you're a liar, gun. Girl. Hello. You're a liar. I actually <laughs> thought that little girl was how Melisandre got into the castle. I was entirely wrong about that. But I thought she was playing on Davos's uh, affinity for children with with facial deformations. I was like, <laughs> only Melisandre would like sneak in, like looking a little bit like Shireen. So I was wrong there. But um, speaking of people being wrong, can we have a moment for Twitter and their rage at Arya? being okay. badass. Did you see how many people were calling her a Mary Sue? Yes, and did, did I'm okay. confused because the definition of a Mary Sue is the polar opposite of Arya Stark. Yes, if anyone's a Mary Sue, it's John. Thank you. 
Like, thank you. Aria is everything, and haters gonna hate. White masculinity is fragile. Masculinity is fragile. It's just I. I was laughing at people who were literally saying this has ruined Game of Thrones. Right. Like, you have ruined it. And I was like, don't you think it was already ruined by, like, the gratuitous nudity, the rape as a trope, and the rampant racism and white oh. saviorism? Like, that... Isn't yeah. that what ruined it? <laughs> We'd like to welcome our new permanent guest host of Pop Culture Theologians. <laughs> Honest to God, these are the same trolls who were like, Last Jedi ruined Star Wars. Like, okay, guys. Okay. We get it. You really don't like female heroines. We get it. Totally cool. Just don't like women. When right, I always say, if you meet a person that just has a disdain for women, never trust them. So can I tell you a, an actual thing? I yes. honest to God judge people by asking them how they feel about the Last Jedi. For me, That's fair. it's a it's a good test. litmus test. Yeah, absolutely. Like, how it, do you feel about the Last Jedi? Oh, I love it so much. I love it so We've much. We've never talked about it. I, I mean, love I love it. it. Don't get me wrong. But, like, I want to talk to you more about this. Maybe we'll do a special episode in between seasons. We I was going to say, can't you do – you should do a whole season when the before the last movie comes out. Of the Star Wars movies. That would be so great. Uh, hashtag Rogue One is also one of my favorites. So, But, yeah, no, this whole Aria – Rogue One is one of my favorites. Rogue One is amazing. The whole Arya thing reminded me a lot of the backlash that we saw during mm-hmm. Last Jedi. And like, I like, Kirsten, like, you'll feel me on this. It is so exhausting as a woman to just realize that there's literally no way we win. Like, Arya mm-hmm. is the polar opposite of, of, and I'm using again, air quotes, performative femininity. She's, she can't, like, she is not Sansa. Sansa has been hated for being, you know, like an idiot and like wanting things to be too nice. And then Arya's hated because she's too badass. And I'm like, I know it seems so simplistic, but it is really exhausting to watch like that there is no form of a female character, uh, which obviously honestly translates. There's no, there is no form of woman that wins in this world. Like there just isn't. We can literally kill death and we still did it wrong right? Like, it, it's yeah. just, it's really, really exhausting. I loved when Davos saw Arya, like, basically stabbing yes. things left and right, and he was, like, he had this, like, look of respect, but on second viewing, I was thinking about it, and I'm, like, you know what, like, I love that look on his face, but also, how many strong women has he already encountered, and how is this a surprise? Like, it should not be say, a surprise to you. <laughs> honestly, like, to me, <laughs> you saw a woman birth a fucking black demon like you should be scared of the power women have and yet there you are looking surprised that Arya knows how to use a sword like, I, I agreed agreed upon first viewing it feels like respect that he has for Arya when you really think about it it's just a reminder that like we have to work so much harder for basic like basic acceptance um yeah, because you know who no one is expecting much out of and still gets tons of praise? Bran. <laughs> Bran's been like, he's like, a, he's like a human screensaver. And everyone's like, oh my God, Bran. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. Like, what? It, this could be bad editing, right? We might be getting this whole backstory on this episode in the next episode. 
but um we're gonna get to like fundamentally what i think the problem of this episode is because what i think matters um this episode not only felt rushed but it felt like a misdirection it like we have spent four five books five books eight seasons being told that the battle for the throne was not as important and needed to take a back seat to the fact that the real fight was the fight with the Night King. That the throne was stupid because we needed to focus on what was important. I don't mind misdirection. I just need context for it. And the Night King was defeated so easily <laughs> in this episode, so quickly, without any dialogue or explanation or flashbacks, anything that I, yeah, I've been like angry for, for, for three days. <laughs> and I want to, I want to caveat that with, I love this show and I trust that we're going to get where we need to get to. I think this was very badly written. Like, so tell me how you really feel. Fuck this shit, man. <laughs> eight years, eight years. You told me to be afraid of climate change. And now what? Like, no, like, I didn't believe this was a story about climate change, but um, this this a story about climate change. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Yeah, that was like one of the biggest ones online. This this ending did not feel appropriately paced. So, question: Do you think this is just capitalism being capitalism? Because we know there's a show in the works that's going to show more of the backstory of the mythology of all of this. Like so, HBO is going to produce, like, so I have seen people argue that, like, they're going to save a lot of this mythos for that show and that series, which takes place, like, a thousand years or whatever earlier. Right. So I is this say, just cap capitalism being capitalism? Like, where we want to make money, if we answer exactly. too many questions, people aren't going to watch it? You mean the thing that I've been harping on for, like, ever because of you, Kirsten? Like, literally, like, that's what I've been saying for the first episode one and two. I was like, really? Like, they're just trying to make money. And I also think that the reason why so many of the characters didn't die is because of contractual negotiations with the actors themselves. Like, to get them to sign on to these extra seasons, that happened, like, a year or two ago no, when no, they no, were finalizing the it. Won't, I agree with you to, this, to, to the sense that, like, these are very expensive contracts, so if you don't have to get rid of characters, like, you might as well use them. Um, but I don't think this show has been afraid of getting rid of people. In regards to, like, whether or not the reason we're not going to get a backstory on the Night King is, like, dun-dun-dun, like, building up to this, like, prequel series, like, that, if George R. R. Martin signed off on that, like, that is a huge fuck you to a fandom that has been extremely fucking loyal to someone who has not written something in 10 years. Like, the uh, again, like... I don't know what happens in the next episode, but you don't get to walk in ice Justin Timberlake, who for like eight, se like eight seasons has been like giving like googly eyes, I'm going to kill you eyes at Jon Snow at Bran and making a huge deal about the fact that they're like, I, I come back to, to, we have a, a massive database of villains. In, in fantasy and in science fiction, right? We have Darth Vader, we have Voldemort, we have Sauron. Like, we very rarely, I can't think of a single villain 
who does not have a story. I can think of better stories to their villainhood and their mission. Like I've, I've often complained that like Voldemort seems a bit cartoonish sometimes. Um, but we know fundamentally that the reason Voldemort in the Harry Potter books wants to go to war and eliminate muggles is because fundamentally he was wounded as a child when he found out his father did not want a wizard child, right? We know that. Darth Vader, like we know Darth Vader's reasons, like we know, and like the broader reasons to me, like become secondary to the fact that there's no such thing as like, there's no like Lucifer in a vacuum. So like to get nothing here, nothing. And again, I don't know what happens the next episode. If it's in the next episode, it's, I still think it's bad writing because here I just felt like a, you know, like a snowman showed up. Everyone was fighting, not with the snowman. And then the snowman gets knocked down. And for eight seasons, they've been like, yo, the snowman is coming. Like, I, I no, no. <laughs> it, Do you I, think that's the end of it though? Like, that's my question. So are your, is your prediction kind of like you think they're going to show some flashback or your hope is that they show flashback? I, or is it that you think that there's actually, like it's not as simple as it looks I like would it was? I'm shocked if that is it. Like I would be absolutely like mind blown if that was it, which makes me think it was just bad writing. It was the hope of getting the surprise of the Arya kill, right? Um, and that Bran will then, you know, mansplain to us everything that happened while he was off on his screensaver time. While he's sitting like, down. Right, right. Like, I, I, it's just, I understand why folks are saying, like, actually, this is the end of it because we're going to get these prequels. But, like, there's five prequels in the works. One was already uh, nixed, so now there's four prequels in the works. And they take place during different times. Not all four are going to get picked up. My guess is the one we're going to get picked up is the one with the history of the Targaryens, not with the, the making of the Night King. Um, I don't think... So, for... For me, you can tie both of those in together, though. Like in you can't, way. though. From a from a chronological perspective, um, I've read A Song of Ice and Fire. Like I, I'm telling you, like it it would honestly it would leave me cold if that is the end. Well, of it. it's also my understanding that the Night King in the show is not the same as the Night not King at all. in the book, and that those are two very different characters. And Martin, I think, has even said that. Himself. Right. Well, I mean, in, the, in, the Night's King is actually a Stark. Like, it, historically, it was someone, wasn't it? Like, someone at yeah. the wall who was Lord Commander. Like, right. Like, uh, the understanding we have is, like, that the Northerners uh, fundamentally have always been a, the ones who protected the wall, and that the the Night King and his, his ensemble are, like, ancient, 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 like, uh, folks that man the wall um but so no my prediction is we're getting an explanation a little bit next week and then we're going south um and I, anything else would shock me like if that is the end of it and now it's just the fight for the throne maybe 87 minutes on a buildup of of 10 years like and even that how much time did we spend with the night king on sunday maybe like five minutes um so yeah yeah so we'll have to see what happens next episode. Like, we'll have to see, but I was, like, not, I was not happy. The bloodbath after yeah. next episode is going to be very interesting. <laughs> Do you think that the, the, the tension will be different between Danny and John 
after what they both faced in the Battle of Winterfell? Like, is it going to change their relationship or is it going to go back to they're just going to be like, he doesn't want the throne, but he's got the claim to the throne and she's now threatened. Like, how do you think the battle has changed? I think that's, I think, I think it stays exactly like we left it off, not this episode, but the episode before. I think fundamentally, Danny is about to take credit for this entire win. <laughs> and John, Sansa, and Arya are going to be in the back kind of scratching their heads. And it's time for John to share the fact that he is a Targaryen with his sisters. I have to say, I do, I, I think I ascribe to Marcy's theory that this is, and it's not just Marcy's, but the theory that you have talked about on the podcast previously, that she's on her descent to being the Mad Queen. Yes. And I do think Jorah's death is definitely a huge catalyst. Oh, well. that, that's it. Like, I mean, between, in, in 24 hours, she found out she was fucking her nephew and she lost the only family she had. I am positive we are about to watch also a deranged, like, vision for her of what happened at the Battle of Winterfell. Because I'm, there's a part of me that really feels like she's going to take credit for a win that is not hers. So, I'm excited. We have, how many days do we have left? Four? <laughs> I think so. so. Really, I'm not that pissed because I'm like counting down days. I'm like, oh my God, it's almost Sunday. It's almost Sunday. <laughs> I think I, the one thing I'm, uh, I'm most looking forward to is Arya with her BDE, with her big dick energy. She's going to get uh, more of that Gendry. She's going to get more of that Gendry. She is like greatest of all time. All time. And I want her to walk around and I want everyone to recognize it. Everyone. Everyone, I'm very all excited. ten people that are still alive. I also, I also just want to see <laughs> right. I want to see Samuel Tarly just real embarrassed. I like. I feel like we deserve that. Um, especially if my theory that he's the one writing uh, this book at like he needs to have a reckoning with himself on the next episode. So, all right, y'all. That is that is everything. It was a long episode. Kirsten, it was oh so gosh. great to have you on the episode. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun. Can we consider you our official maester? Yes. Oh, I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. 